Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. What better way to spend this Christmas week than by listening to two Jews talk about comedy? It's The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast. This week, we are revisiting our very first episode with the wonderful Sarah Silverman. Sarah was kind enough to sit down with me for this conversation before we even had a title for the show, and it is still one of my favorite episodes. Just one small thing to note, I bring up Senator Kirsten Gillibrand during our discussion about Al Franken. She has obviously since dropped out of the 2020 Democratic primary race, but was still very much a candidate when we recorded. Otherwise, I think the episode is just as timely as when we originally released it. If you've been listening to The Last Laugh all year and want to get me a Christmas present, how about leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts? It would mean the world to me. And please follow us on Instagram at LastLaughPod, where I'll be posting some never-before-seen photos of me and Sarah from the day we taped this episode. Okay, here it is, Sarah Silverman. Um... So yeah, I think uh, you know I want to I want to really jump right in because um, earlier this year we found out some uh, some bad news that your your Hulu show I Love You America was was canceled very prematurely I might add. Thank you. So sad. Um, so bummed. Yeah. I feel so like a, a shell of myself. So I mean, how did you how did you find out and did it? Did it come as a as a big surprise when it when it happened? <laughs> it did. It came as a surprise. We were so sure we were getting picked up. Everything elevated in the the what's what we call the second season, but was uh, officially called season one B for uh, financial reasons. Mm. I would say mm. um, of, by Hulu. Um, yeah, and uh, it's. <laughs> Funny, not funny, but funny because um, one of our executive producers, Mike Farah from Funny or Die, was our studio, and um, he texted me, and I read the text like this: "We we found out from Hulu. Can you get on the phone?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah!" And I get on the phone, and everyone's melancholy, and I immediately know I, I that I was. Uh, my expectations were wrong and and we didn't get picked up and then i was in charge of telling our head writer uh and also executive producer um dave ferguson and i thought that i texted him bro give me a call when you get a chance <laughs> <laughs> but he read bro give me a call when you get a chance so i actually did it to him yeah uh, what was done to me, I really didn't mean to, and it was terrible. Um, yeah, we're all super bummed about it. You know, we're going to see each other on Sunday at the Writers Guild Awards, so that will be a fun party for us because we haven't seen each other since. And it's actually a bunch of writers because 
when they picked us up between season one and season one B, mm-hmm. um, we had to hire a bunch of new people because it was had been so many, um, so, so, so many months and so beyond the time they were supposed to let us know that people had to get other jobs. Yeah. Um, what did, you know, either Funny or Die or Hulu tell you about why that decision was made? Uh, I think, you know, I know that they did love the show, but I think the what it costs compared to the, you know, its popularity or the eyes that they had on it didn't, uh, you know, the people that make the decisions there aren't, don't have any connection to the show, so it's easier for them. It's probably mm-hmm. good, I, it's probably smart, you know, they make very hard decisions and, yeah. and bold. And um, so, yeah. I guess uh, <laughs> it's funny because oh, Craig Erwick, um, Craig mm-hmm. Erwick, who runs Hulu, I guess he was our you know guy. Um, was always very nice, and you know he. I probably shouldn't. Ah, fuck it. <laughs> um, <laughs> guess I'll just burn this one down, but um. I think it's a funny story. Or maybe it sounds obnoxious and it's too show busy. I'm really debating right now. You might have to say it now because you <laughs> said fuck it already. <laughs> well, he, he's actually lovely. And, and I felt that the notes that Hulu gave us elevated the show a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, the second half we did the quickie at top at yeah. the top, which really got a lot of traction and was very, like, of that day we, like, responded to the news, shot, wrote it, shot it, and put it out all in a day. And it was exciting. And and then the monologue could stay more like it was still current, obviously, but um, more of symptomatic of, like, the times we're living in. Regardless of your party affiliation, we got a bunch of new faces in the house, and 33 of them are women. Yeah, sure, I don't agree with all of them, but I don't agree with all the women in my Lamaze class. They don't even think I should be there. I'm like, I'm sorry I'm not pregnant. Plus, we elected the first openly gay governor, two Native American congresswomen, one of them gay, and two Muslim congresswomen, one of whom will be the first to wear a hijab. This is a grab bag of Republican worst nightmares. It's like a a congressional caravan. They could be hiding Middle Easterners and people with ethics in there. So, first of all, they... They called us uh, the day before they canceled us to ask if they could extend the ad I did for Hulu. Mm -hmm. I go, sure. Yeah. And then my partner, Amy, and I are like, oh, I'm going to get picked (laughs) up. And then the next day they uh, canceled us. And then the day after that, we got nominated for, uh, um, you know, it's one of their only shows nominated for Emmys besides uh, Handmaid's Town. Yeah, you guys were nominated for the only uh, comedy for sketch series. Anyway, um. Uh, so, so Craig kept trying to connect with me and I never understand that. I know whatever, I guess it's the right thing for him to do. Like, but I just, I'm like, why? Mm -hmm. But he emailed me and he said, oh, I know this is bittersweet, but congratulations. And I'm so sorry we had to, you know, cancel the show or whatever. And I wrote him back and I (laughs) I said, I've really turned into my mother Mm -hmm. completely who, who, (laughs) um, let me give you an example of my mother. She was a theater director in New Hampshire, local mm-hmm. theater, and she won the like theater director, New Hampshire theater director of the year, you know, thing. 
uh, or lifetime achievement thing. And, and all three, all of us sisters um, flew in and surprised her and like presented her with the award. And, you know, you go up and you go, thank you so much. And But no, she just, <laughs> she's in the middle of rehearsals for some show and she gets on and she says thank you for about five seconds and then goes into, you know, if you're not 15 minutes early for rehearsal, that means you're late. And when you're late, you're you're telling me that your time is more important than mine. And I'm just, we're just going, Mom, <laughs> say thank you and get off. Not the time. It, yeah. It, but I've, I've really become her where I, you know, where I, I couldn't relate to it then. But in her mind, she was helping people. And also she can't. Just like me, like can't let things go when when she can't get her head around something. So when I wrote him back, I said, uh, you know, uh, truthfully, you know, I said, I'm, I'm we're so bummed and I'm I'm so sad about it. But I I have to say that like the input that you guys gave us elevated the show, and I really appreciate it and and the work that you put into it, and I I it made it this show that I'm. So proud, you know. It was the only thing I've ever worked on where I wake up before my alarm and I get to work early because I'm just so excited about it. I I had a place to put all this mm-hmm. daily bombardment. Yeah. So, um, as Mister Rogers would call it. <laughs> so anyway, I set up. I have some notes, <laughs> and uh, if you're not interested in them, you know, just uh, you know, this is the end of the email. But if you are, keep reading. And I just had uh, several notes. Yeah. And, uh, Can you give us one of them, or what? What was uh, uh, what were the highlights? You know, they they they're real first world problem things. But you know, we would work long hours and and every day, and it was all I ever thought about. I said, you know, if you're if you're sending the person whose show it is who writes on it and performs in it and everything to New York for twenty four hours to do, you know, eight appearances to promote your network. Um, and then fly, and then she flies, takes the red eye home to get to work, go straight to work the next day. Go ahead and fly her first class. <laughs> I, I, I think it's worth it. Yeah. You're a big network. You got lots of money. I, I think it's worth it. Uh, two, um, if she's nominated for an Emmy for a show on your network, uh, um, don't, I, I got a bill. For $1,500 for my hair and makeup and uh, grooming and all that stuff that's expensive on Emmy Day. Like, yeah. it's all heightened expenses. Um, they didn't they, – even Comedy Central, like, 15 <laughs> years ago paid for that shit yeah. when I was nominated. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. I got a bill. I go, what is this? Yeah. I said, oh, Hulu won't pay for it. I was just – I was just flummoxed. Like, wouldn't it be worth – them paying $1,500 to not have me on Matt Wilstein's podcast saying <laughs> Hulu wouldn't pay $1,500 for, a, you know, an Emmy for their network. You know, I said, um, hey, you know, I got a star on the Walk of Fame, uh, whatever, you know. I just want to say uh, Netflix sent me roses, a beautiful note. And made a donation to uh, my, uh, one of my favorite charities. Um, I didn't even get an email from you guys. <laughs> I go, I, that stuff doesn't mean anything to me. It really doesn't. Yeah. But um, it's just such a bad look, you know, for you guys. And yeah. and it was for your show. And uh, and by the way, Netflix also sent me roses when I was nominated for an Emmy for your show. So I don't know. It it doesn't take much. It takes putting an assistant on it. Mm-hmm. Like one assistant yeah. does that shit. Um, but it's just uh, 
it just is not a good look and it's classy as fuck of, of Netflix, you know? Yeah. I did one special with them like four years ago. Yeah, wow. So, um, I, you know, just stuff like that. It's it's cocky, obnoxious, and, and you know, I mean, for anyone at home listening to this are probably saying, fuck you, you know, and I, get, I totally get it, but there's such a big corporation made up of every network except for CBS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. um, it's just like, I, I, I was earnest in that, like, that's, it's just good business, you know, like those things are really like it's it's kind of a I don't want to say appalling, you know, that yeah. separating children at the border is appalling. Right. <laughs> this is really not a big deal at all. But just in terms of it's just very. Uh, oh, God, I sound like such a douchebag. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, well, I keep my overhead very low, but Hulu doesn't. Yeah. So, you know, they yeah, should probably well, pay it, for it, shit. It shows where their priorities were that they, you know, canceled your show at all because it was, um, you know, I think a very culturally impactful show, which I think is what they are, you know, you would think that they would be looking for with this type of of show. Yeah, you know, I knew it was canceled before kind of it was announced that it was canceled and it was just so heartbreaking because when I go out and do, you know, just whatever my daily errands, I'm at the supermarket or wherever, I... It, I don't realize how many people, and you know, I'm seeing it because they're coming up to me because I, I have that show. It's not mm-hmm. like everyone watches it, but you know, obviously it was niche, niche. I don't know. Either one. But you know, so many people would go, keep doing what you're doing. And you know, and it just is like so heartbreaking because I kind of feel cut off at the knees, you know. Um, yeah, there was a really huge outpouring of support, you know, from fans online, um, you know, that I saw when, when you, when it did get canceled and it does make you kind of think well well where were these people were they watching well it's always that way you know, yeah yeah but, <laughs> um, I, yeah. but, but uh, yeah it's a super bummer and you know we own it you know we yeah. could bring it somewhere else but it, there is some you know and and we've seen that happen with shows mm-hmm. and stuff but ultimately it's a lot of ego is involved of networks where they don't want like someone's sloppy seconds you know mm-hmm. yeah um you know the other part of this was that it was the third um at least the third female fronted late night style show that was canceled within one year um and if you go back a little bit further there was chelsea handler on netflix as well whose show got canceled i think you know before it really got a chance absolutely i mean what do you what do you make of that do you do you think that's a a problem um you know i i there's a the female there's a woman aspect but there's also the streaming aspect right. because both Maya and, and Chelsea's shows and Michelle Wolf yeah Wolf, uh, Michelle Wolf's shows were on streaming and it's um I guess because there's no it, it's hard to have um the the whole appeal of streaming is that it's not appointment television you know mm-hmm. it's um there for you at any time so they have a real hard time um, figuring out. As a matter of fact, there was an article written that, like, wow, my show is the only one that survived. You know, but then it, yeah. it got canceled. <laughs> um, wow, I sound like a like Don King or something. I'm really like self-promoting. <laughs> I'm not usually that way. Uh, but uh, but it, it it's not just that it were women. They were they were streaming service mm-hmm. um, political shows, which is isn't the perfect um, formula because it, it isn't streaming by design isn't really appointment television. So, you know, I, there isn't I, I don't really understand why, I guess, because you can't DVR streaming. It's just there. So mm-hmm. it's not like on your right. menu, per se, or, you know, you have to make a little more effort. And, and um, you know, modern living is about 
the least amount of effort it certainly is for me mm-hmm. like even dvds i'm like uh d- you have to put in a dvd <laughs> like it's so but um that's why it is you know i mean like, hbo's got um I love HBO and and to me my show I just I wish so much that it was there because yeah. it belongs there um but and they have such great political comedy shows but it's a real sausage party I mean it, I don't know if two makes it a party but even if you look at Bill Maher my friend who mm-hmm. I adore John Oliver who I'm a super fan of and Vice you know Yeah um, they're kind of political. They do have two is... dope queens, so they uh, they they should get a little. Oh, bit is that political? Would you say that's political? Well, well, no. I guess it's that's it's a but it's a yeah. It's a, oh, and they have Pod Save America. I mean, it's, right. it's a veritable sausage party in the yeah. political arena. In the political side, for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's yeah. Of course, it's not. It's not a in terms of comedy. Mm-hmm. There's two dope queens, and they had, they have a ton of yeah 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 women stuff. I'm talking about p- politics. Right. Right. Um, you know, the other part of your show that kind of set it apart from these other late night kind of shows was that it really did have this um, mission of bridging the divide between left and right and talking to people that you're that you disagree with. And that really hasn't been where a lot of other late night shows have moved, where it's really become let's all scream about Trump to people who already agree with us. Um so, I mean, do you think that that factored in at all? Do you think that a show that doesn't that tries to sort of speak beyond its bubble can survive in this media landscape? Yeah, I don't think that's that has anything to do with the the failure of the show at all. Um, just objectively, because mm-hmm. I, you know, um, it's interesting because it it really didn't get covered much. Um, you covered it a little and stuff, <laughs> but but it got covered tons by. The super right wing, like right. Breitbart and the Blaze, and even if it was negative, you know, on um, which it was always, mm. it they um, showed the clip. Yeah, you know, they posted the clip, and you know, so um, I loved that. I actually really yeah. appreciated it, even though they they didn't necessarily mean well. Coming up after the break, Sarah goes deep on what it was like to watch her friend Al Franken get ousted from the Senate, and a lot more. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The other thing I wanted to ask you about regarding the Democratic field is Kirsten Gillibrand, who has still has the thing that's kind of stuck to her a little bit is her feelings, um, the way that she kind of led the charge to get Al Franken out of the Senate. And that's something that is still I think there's people who are upset about that. There's people who think, oh, it's great that she did that. I mean, so 
I know that you, um, you know, are are friendly with him, um, and have been for a long time. So I was curious what you what you make of of that. Well, I can only just be honest and say, if I didn't know Al Franken, uh, I'd probably be like, yeah, go girl, me too, mm-hmm. fuck that shit. Yeah. Um, because I do know him, I don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. But I also am aware those disparities are because. When you know someone, I truly believe, uh, just like the 60 women that wrote a letter from SNL, you know, and, and people go, believe women. And of course, you know, so so I don't I, I, I think and I've said this with the other people in my life that this is the case of that, you know, maybe I'm too close. And, you know, when you're a detective and your wife gets murdered, you'd think, oh, that would be the perfect person to be on the case. But no, they take that detective off the case because mm-hmm. they're too close to it. So maybe I, I, I'm too close to it. I just am seeing the dots and not the big picture. But I, I just can't believe it. Mm-hmm. I, I really, he's, his wife is his best friend and constant companion. She mm-hmm. was with him, you know, most all those times. The thing with the the USO thing is bullshit. And if you watch the sketch they did, it's give me a fucking break. Yeah. I'm not, they may be guilty of being, having, doing pedestrian comedy, yeah. I guess. But, um, and, and she, he apologized and she accepted his apology. I don't mm-hmm. know that for what senators have done, the things that they do and get away with. And I know that it was something at the time where they said, well, if he has to resign because how do we expect, you know, Roy Moore to resign or where it was all during mm-hmm. that and everything. Yeah. But the, here's the difference. And this is what we're teaching, you know, and, and so I'm not weighing in. Mm-hmm. This is me not weighing in. <laughs> but um, But it does seem that the Republican Party, and I don't think this is something to emulate at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't apologize, denies everything, admits nothing, and everyone keeps their job. Mm -hmm. And I hate that that's what we teach our children. But if you apologize and you say, I want there to be an ethics um, uh, investigation on me, Mm-hmm. And I want to do everything by the book. This is my truth. I, you know, but mm-hmm. I'm open to that. These women felt this way. I want to make this right. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that person then loses their job. I'm not saying, well, if they don't, yeah. he shouldn't. Yeah. I'm not. I like that the Democratic Party. I'd like to think that they focus on what is right and what is the truth. But I just don't, you know. Al never wanted to run for president. I remember having dinner with him and we were all going, you got to run in 2020. This is years ago. Mm-hmm. He said, I have no desire to be president. I will never run for president. Mm-hmm. He loved being a senator. He loved representing Minnesota. It's It was his world. It was his pride. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time he was killing it, interviewing, you know, at the confirmation hearings of Betsy DeVos and all these people and the right took a swing and hit a grand slam and I I don't like when the right divides the left which I see so often right um they take such glee in being very able to divide the left and that's why I worry about intersectionality and so much division on the left and not looking beyond that and saying, oh, right, they need us to be divided. Let's find a way to stay to get, you know, stay 
cohesive. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm talking yeah. out of my ass, though. You do know. you do you think either from talking to him or just knowing him that what his, do you have any ideas about what his next uh, act might be? Because it seems like. He is not someone who would just kind of disappear from the public eye forever. He's working on stuff, you know, um, but um, not for me to say. Yeah. But, okay. But yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I don't think I, I, I'm a enemy of women to say that I, I'm rooting for him. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm always rooting for people to be changed. You know, I just had this like, whatever. Uh, we don't have to talk about it. Um, uh, ultrasound violating ultrasound thing yeah, where the guy like, I mean, I wanted put to the ask gel on directly with his hands on my breasts and stuff and, and he did screwed up stuff and a lot of people are asking why'd you go to him twice uh, I didn't do it on purpose when I found <laughs> that it was him again I was emailed my doctor and said I can't believe you sent me to this guy again yeah. and, and it was a mistake on and my doctor's party felt terrible and, mm-hmm. and then it happened again times a thousand it was awful but there's a reason I didn't expose his name. I'm not trying to destroy his career. Um, I want him to be changed. He has to wear gloves and he has to listen to women. He has mm-hmm. a chance to change. Yeah. But if he doesn't, there's going to be a problem. Because, you know, his answer when he was co- uh, confronted by my doctor was, I've never used gloves and I've been doing this for 35 years, which he doesn't realize it is what he's saying is, I've gotten away with doing this for 35 years and mm-hmm. no one speaks up. Yeah. Um, I saw you, you know, you had some some thoughts about the way that it was covered by various news outlets. Um, yeah. I, you know, listen, they can cover it however they want. And there's mm-hmm. someone that picks the pictures and, and it's not hard news. You mm-hmm. know, I know it's whatever. It, it's not a big deal. Uh, I posted it on Instagram and it's and people can cover it however they mm-hmm. want to. But it yeah. It, I, it was not lost on me that oh, maybe most of the outlets that I clicked on, mm-hmm. um, the pictures they chose were all like me in boob dresses. Like, yeah. and I wore them, and you know, you know, like uh, gowns with my boobs on a shelf, or you mm-hmm. know. But certainly, there are far more pictures of me like this and yeah. in hoodies, um, doing stand up and stuff. And and it is, it's a conscious, and maybe maybe not, it's not a conscious choice, but they mm-hmm. had to pick those pictures. Right. And the fact that they picked um, revealing booby pictures, and, you know, it could be just some intern that picks the pictures, and but whatever, and they, but there is a systematic misogyny. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't have any hard, I'm saying with all of us. You know, it could be young women doing it. It could be, it doesn't matter. That it feeds into this thought that um, this woman who is brassy and outspoken and speaks, you know, um, graphically about sex in her stand-up and, you know, and or, or on her feeds maybe or whatever. And, and that she, she, and there were people who said, things like this very rarely it was mostly very supportive whatever but you know how you can't have it both ways you can't be you know wear revealing dresses and um talk about openly about sex and expect to be treated quote unquote like a nun Mm. in the doctor's office and of course that's absurd but there's it's a very subconscious microaggression actually you know yeah i'm i'm curious you know what it's like for you to be someone who 
gets written about a lot in this way where you say something and all of a sudden there's 20 articles, whether it's something you said on your show or something you posted on Instagram. There's this tweet uh, from Patton Oswalt from about five years ago that I always think about where he welcomed Seth Rogen to the clickbait club um, <laughs> because he had said something and everyone was writing about it. And Patton is someone like that as well. And there, uh, there seems to be this this group. And, you know, I'm sure I'm guilty of this, too, as a writer, you know, covering this stuff where there's there's certain people that if they say something that's the least bit controversial or on some, some you know, topic that people are talking about, it, it gets written about. So, I mean, what is that like for you to 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 be that person? Uh, you know, I'm not Ariana Grande. Yeah. Or what, I think that's how you're, you're supposed to say your last <laughs> name now, I heard. Um, you know, I, look, I, you know, even when I'm get paparazzi, if I'm with a friend, mm-hmm. I go, don't, it's not going to show up anywhere. <laughs> anywhere. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's like someone is famous at this airport yeah. and, and they're just taking pictures. So it, it, I don't really, it doesn't, I mean, for that thing that I, I, I happen to read a lot of the comments and I, and, mm-hmm. um, I read some of the pieces about it, but pieces. Um, <laughs> they're basically, they just like reiterate what I yeah, said. And right. that's an article that they wrote for the day because they have to write so many articles right. a day. Um, but I, you know, I, I I say to myself what I say to my friends and it's not self-deprecation. It's just reality. And it's, it's a, to me, a relieving reality. But, you know, when my friends go, oh, so they wrote this about me or they wrote that about me or people think this, I go... Nobody's Googling you, <laughs> except for you. Yeah. And and certainly nobody's uh, organizing it by date. Right. <laughs> you know, like, you're the only one doing that. So, it's, you know, no one – I always assume people aren't really that aware. I mean, like this mammogram mm-hmm. uh, ultrasound thing, people it, it people talked about a little bit. But, um, but for the most part, you know, I could Google myself. I, I usually don't. You know, mm-hmm. it's funny because my – my dad has a Google alert on me and my partner, my manager, does. And so they'll know some stuff that be- days before I find out, like, you know, an ex is now has an ex who, like, is seeing someone now mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. And I won't know. And then they kind of together are like, do we tell her? But uh, <laughs> I, it's, it's um, you know, it gets less interesting as you yeah. get older. And, and that's a good thing. But, um, but I you know, I'm, yeah, I like write this thing with. There was a. I tweeted at the president, you know, dirty words. Right. Like, who cares? To me, it was hilarious. I, you know, there was no point in saying you clearly either don't understand what global warming is, <laughs> or it doesn't mean warm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like, um, or you're a fucking asshole, uh, manipulating your base who who believe you. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a liar and you're lying to people. Um, but it's just like, why why bother? So I just said, fuck you and uh, your balls touch water. <laughs> and uh, I thought it was funny. And, and of course, like all these right-wing people, I guess were like, this person's in a Disney movie. And like, <laughs> how are you more offended by language than by right. the the daily atrocities of this 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 uh person i guess (laughs) yeah i mean so odd yeah they have to believe it they must their brain is set up in a series of beliefs that they cannot let go of or be changed by anything because Mm -hmm. that's their bread and butter i guess i don't know yeah um i mean i tweet about israel and 
I, every other day I have a completely different opinion. I mean, I, I feel like I could write a thesis on both or all sides of the issue. You know, it's it's not to, to think it's so black and white is just so bizarre to me. You know, anyway. so so again, oh. back to Louis, <laughs> yeah. Louis, a brilliant comedian. You're saying that it was you were conflicted in that this is a friend of yours and, it, and it's very. Listen, I, I don't know if I'm going to regret saying this, but I've known Louis forever. I, I, I'm not making excuses for him. Please don't take this that way. But, you know, we are peers. We're equal. So, you know, when I was, you know, when we were kids and he asked if he could masturbate in front of me, sometimes I'd go, uh, fuck yeah, I want to see that. Yeah. Um, so I, I heard you on uh, Dak Shepard's podcast um, and you talked a little bit about how you felt like people took some of the comments that you made on Stern's show, Howard Stern's show, Ooh. about Louis out of context. So I just wanted to give you um, an opportunity to <laughs> to clarify if you if you wanted to. But, you know, the, this is the thing. And, and, you know, with this, who knows what will happen as well. I was pretty clear mm-hmm. on that show. But because it's long form, mm-hmm. he, and I think I said these exact words, my experience with Louis as a teenager informs, perhaps informs his pathology a bit, mm-hmm. but in no way is analogous to crimes mm-hmm. he subsequently uh, assaults, you know, whatever he subsequently committed that mirror it, that com- come from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just speaking about my own experience and... To see to leave there, that's the first thing in the morning, right. and I'm there for Hulu doing a day of you know eight different, eleven different shows, you know, yeah. and then getting on a plane to get back to work in mm-hmm. L.A. and to have the whole day <laughs> overshadowed by fucking this, you know, and the the um, clickbait by mm-hmm. credible, you know, places I read and yeah. and. It's only because it happened to me that I go, but this isn't the whole story. Right, <laughs> and, I, right. and I hope that I carry that with everything now that I read subsequently where I go, is this the whole story? And you have to click on it and read mm. it. But nobody clicks on it and reads right. it. And and the headline was, oh, you jerked off in front of me and I didn't care. Yeah. And that's so cold and insulting and awful to the women that um, were hurt by by his actions mm-hmm. and um, it really you know I'm, I'm also very close with Tig Notaro and it was just like it was really upsetting for people to read and nobody wants to click on it because they're done with it right so if you clicked on it they quoted me mm-hmm. but like if you don't like nobody does yeah. it just makes me look like an asshole and and me looking like an asshole is the least of it. It hurt mm-hmm. people, and yeah. and there was stuff that I said that wasn't quite um, that I don't think I was articulating the spirit of what I meant. And um, who called me on it? Uh, Corey, uh, somebody, and, and you know, and all I could do was say, "Fuck, you're right." You know, mm-hmm. like I, it, it, it's very. It's a little harder to navigate the waters as a comedian mm-hmm. right now because you have to be free and let your mouth fly. Yeah. Um, careful 
measured comedy isn't a thing for a reason. Right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And I try to be sensitive and I try to be changed by the new things I learn um, because I want to. I'm into that. But I'm always going to fuck up. And, you know, so, so many people, you know, I, I remember seeing on Twitter, like, I'm so disappointed. I used to be a fan or all this. And I go, look, if you're looking at me to say only things you agree with, I'm, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't expect that. of. Is there anyone in your life you're supposed to expect that of? I mean, I don't know, your, your clergy, maybe? Mm -hmm. That certainly hasn't worked out super great for most of the time, although I have some priest friends I really love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it was Rebecca Corey, right? Yes, it was Rebecca to. Corey who I adore. And uh, uh, I, for some reason, I, I was thinking Corey Kahaney because I was thinking of Corey, and then I knew it wasn't Corey mm -hmm. Kahaney, blah, 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 so I didn't say her name. But it was Rebecca Corey who I, who's very funny and a very good person and who I adore, and I was happy that she called me on that mm -hmm. because that's helpful. That's what friends can do. You yeah. Know? Coming up, Sarah talks about the evolution of her own stand-up material and looks back at some of her most iconic roles, including that time she played Kramer's girlfriend on Seinfeld. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So I want to talk to you about your stand-up um, because... Maybe one upside of the show ending, I don't know, is uh, that you might have more time to, to get out and do stand-up. Um, how does that feel and, and sort of where, what's your approach to, to stand-up these days? Um, yeah, I'm doing I'm, – I'm back doing stand-up. It's so funny because, you know, I'm back at the clubs and then people go, like, are you preparing for something? I, no, I'm just a stand-up. I'm just – I'm like, I don't have a day job now, so this is – I'm full-time this. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, just, I'm not – uh, stand-up was never something to parlay into something else. It's mm -hmm. forever for me. And and I also never think about specials. That's why I've had three specials in 20 years. Yeah. Like, unless somebody goes, want to do a special? <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess, yeah. So I, I always wonder. I have, like, drawers and drawers and drawers of comedy notebooks, and I'm just like, well, there's probably, like, two other specials in here I never did that I just, I kind of keep my head down and just, do stand up, mm -hmm. and do you feel like that those notebooks are are in the past, and they wouldn't be in a special now, or are they? I always keep them because um, if you flip through old stuff, um, there's so much that I never figured out, never got to work, or the whole world has changed, and now it makes sense or something. So, just to even just to have a starting place to for my brain to be, but obviously like the world and the. You know, just living in the world also is, helps a lot. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, it's nice. I mean, it's it's nice. I love doing stand-up. You know, when I was working on the show, I wasn't doing it because I, I'm i not good at doing uh, more than one thing at a time. <laughs> I like put, you know, when I was working on the show, all I thought about was the show. And then, you know, if I was home, I was had to eat something and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. But um, 
everything I wrote went into went into that, you know. So now it's um yeah, I'm having a good time doing stand up. I probably have like a I could easily do a half hour. I probably have a solid twenty to twenty five minutes of actual good material. So one of the things you joked about when I saw you at uh, UCB not too long ago was uh, being single, which, I had, which, uh, which was kind of fun. Uh, it's such new an material. 80s comedian premise, <laughs> but then it was like also my truth. So I was trying to reconcile with it. Yeah. Um, what is that been kind of interesting to, to delve into that uh, type of material and that, that premise? Well, it's like, yeah, but it's also, like, hard to not be meta about it because it's just, like, to say I'm single on stage. Like, I kept, like, holding a microphone, and then I'm like, wait, there's a stand-up mic I'm talking into, but I kept – there's something, like, so – that feels so inherently hacky about it that I have, like, yeah. these guilt pangs, and then it just becomes a whole other bit. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but, yeah, it's it's always weird to navigate. I've always – been in relationships for like big chunks of time and every time I come out I'm like a generation older and I don't know what my station is um do you feel like the experience working on I Love You America has um influence changed your your approach to stand up in any way yeah I mean I I I think I've tended towards this but you know our head writer Dave Ferguson who I oh I just love him so much. And uh, and any time I would go, yeah, but this or this, you know, I would have like a some kind of complex, complex, please. I would have some kind of confusion about something or a, anything, whatever was going on. I can't think of an example, but he would say, well, why don't you just say that? You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. so there's so many times where you don't realize like, Oh, just say that. Like, it, it, talk about the conflict. Talk about the what you can't uh, reconcile in your head. Talk about, you know what I mean? So it's, it's um, that kind of like, he always did that in it. And it's opened a door for me, I think, in a, in a way. So before we wrap up, I want to go through some of um, my favorite credits of yours. And you can tell I me. I bet I know one of them. Ooh. And, I, and you can tell me what your best and or worst memory is from each of them. Okay. So the first one is uh, your season at SNL. Ooh. Um, I mean, it was just, I was so young. I was so excited to be there. I also, like, went through, like, hardcore panic attacks where I was just trying to, like, not fall to the ground while I was there. Um, made some lifelong friends. What's a juicy story though? Yeah, let's get let's get the dirt. It's been a, it's been a while, so it's. I mean, here's a sweet story. Well, let's see. Here's a a fun fact. I mean, this is like I can't even believe how old I am that this is true. Although Saturday Night Live is like kind of even though they're right on the cusp of the times, like the whole setup like worked in a certain way that it took them a while to get into computers. So like when I was there, we wrote on like, I wrote on legal pads longhand and then there was a room of typists. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Can you believe it? I look so good for my age. (laughs) Um, uh, There was a lock on the women's door 
a women's room bathroom door, but not the men's room, and that was to keep you from getting raped instead <laughs> of just saying uh, rape isn't allowed. <sighs> and let's see. But it was it was a great experience. Um, it was like boot camp. To be there mm-hmm. one year is kind of, um, I mean, to have many years there, I'm sure, is a, a blessing and a mitzvah. I mean, I look at Keenan mm-hmm. Thompson. Yeah. He's the longest running now. Yeah. He's the longest running, but I hope he never leaves. I mean, I hope he does leave, and I hope he has... Oh, he has got a sitcom, and I hope it's very successful, but he is so... First of all, he's done sketch comedy his whole life. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that was... He was a kid. Yeah. He is so brilliant on that Saturday Night Live. He elevates every sketch he's in. Mm-hmm. He brings some new, weird, nuancey thing to, like, any character that's written for him. I mean, there's just nobody like him. He's just, he makes my face hurt. Yeah. And, um, but having been there one year is also a mitzvah, kind of, because uh, it didn't define me, but it was an unbelievable boot camp. And uh, I remember, you know, when I was there, Chris Farley was there and, and Phil Hartman was there. And uh, it was kind of the end. It was still like that boys club, but, you know, I didn't know any different. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, a lot of good good people. And I remember getting to rehearsal early one day, and, and Chris w- Farley was already there. And I just kind of sat next to him on the stage. Eight, uh, was it? Eight A or whatever they, mm-hmm. people know. Eight H, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Sorry. <laughs> of course, and, I know uh, it. I know you it's don't. legendary. <laughs> and... Um, he goes, can you believe? And he had been there three years. He was already a big star. And he goes, yeah. can you believe it? Like, we're sitting on the same stage as John Belushi. <laughs> and, you know, I had, I was out of my mind excited and proud that I was there. But, you know, I had got, I was still this kid who was just inherently self-deprecating like so many comics and so many people are where it's like once I was accepted there it wasn't so cool because it was now part of me and I'm mm-hmm. not cool and that's so fucked up you know and um, and he, to see him go whoa can you believe it can you believe where it was like it really opened my mind and like you know taught me to really appreciate the moment a little and stuff um I feel like I had one more funny thing. No, well, maybe not. We can come back to it. If okay, we'll about. come back. Uh, best and or worst memory from playing Kramer's girlfriend on Seinfeld. I, I, I was thinking maybe I should spend the night. Oh, that's sweet, but actually I... I think I'd prefer it if you left. What? You were completely right. I sleep so much better when I'm alone. And you scream in your sleep. I do? There was a man, he was trying to get into my apartment last night. He was jiggling the doorknob for 25 minutes. Come on, it was probably the wind. No, 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 it was a fearless cat burglar. Now listen, you gotta let me sleep here. I'll, you know, I'll stay over here on my side and I'll, I'll stuff a sock in my mouth. Because I don't want to sleep alone. Well, I do. <laughs> Uh, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy, but I will say I was trembling nervous. And it wasn't a live audience shoot. Mm. Um, by that time, they would 
they would block and shoot an episode, and then when they did a live episode, they'd show that episode uh, before the that you know they would show it and record the laughs. So they were like organic laughs, but they would block and shoot it without an audience sometimes. And the episode I was on was one of those. And I was so nervous. And and there's a scene where we're in bed, and it was the first scene we shot. And uh, and I just knew him as Kramer and wacky guy, you know. <laughs> and he's scared, and uh, he says, "What's that noise or something?" And I say, and my line is, "It's probably the wind." Mm-hmm. And I accidentally said, "It's probably the rain." Mm. And he broke character and he points to the window and he goes do you see rain do you see rain out there and my i i was like just trying to not cry and i'm like no then why did you say rain Uh, i don't don't know you know whatever was going on with him i don't know it was not that was what happened (laughs) yeah and i was like fuck and then the next day we were shooting in monk's diner and we were sitting there not shooting yet. And he's just shooting the shit like we're buddies. He goes, yeah, I'm looking at a new place, but I don't know. Blah, 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 blah. And I was so, like, uh, toughened up from the day before that he just goes and go- talks and talks. And then finally I go, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> and then he then he was nice to me. And then You're we speaking got his language? I go, F- I don't give a fuck. I, I I think I just had to like push it out to like protect myself or something. I don't know, but whatever happened, uh, then we were friends, and he was cool, and and um, that was that. Working with Gary Shandling on the Larry Sanders Show. I mean, please, he was. Um, I, I got introduced to him because my friend Dave Rath, when I came out to Los Angeles. Um, brought me to his Sunday basketball game because I had played with basketball in New York with Rath. And and I was 24, and Gary was 45. And I played in that game until I was 45. And that's when Gary passed away. And, uh, God, I think it's been three years. Mm. In March it will be. And uh, I just can't believe it. Just... Um, such a massive loss and um, he he was a um, so he he liked to write real stories and, and do real stuff and here's a great story from it, an interesting story from that is so he said you're going to be on Larry Sanders you're going to be a writer and it will be like and um, he the writers all were writing it you know and he they had the writer's assistant um, Justin, who who also played in the basketball game, was supposed to call my agent um, at CAA at the time and, and ask for tape on me so that the writers could, if they weren't familiar with me, could mm-hmm. kind of write to it. And uh, my agent got on the phone and didn't un- didn't know I that this was a part writ- being written for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was not you know, nobody... You know, mm-hmm. the, and um, and my agent said to Justin, um, well, what's the part? Because I've got lots of girls. And I would never know that except Justin called me and said, you should know that your agent said this. Wow. And, um, 
it was a real bummer, you know. Yeah. But uh but yeah, that experience was incredible. It was he taught me so much about acting and about being a human being and everything he learned the hard way he taught to us wrapped up in a bow. Mm -hmm. You know, he was so generous with what he learned and what he knew and what he figured out in difficult ways and any script, you know, I said on the Judd made such did so good by him yeah, with that documentary. That was incredible. It was so brilliant and was just so honest and um and I think Gary would have been so happy with it. And uh and um you know, I, I said even in that it's like there are he was so generous with everyone, you know, there are NCIS scripts that are elevated because one of the writers, you know, asked Gary mm -hmm. to read it and he gave notes. He always was willing to read things, give notes. I mean, that's a fucking pain in the ass to do. Yeah. Yeah. And he did it. And I remember Sasha Baron Cohen at his memorial was like, well, who's going to be our Gary Yeah. now? And and I think we both realized, like, oh, we have to be the Gary now, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Seems like a lot of people are carrying his uh, spirit forward in that way, including yeah. including you. And I think that's good. Um, and then I guess just because we haven't really talked about it yet, uh, the Sarah Silverman program. Yeah. Well, it's funny because the there were a lot of Mr. Show people uh, came to mm -hmm. Sarah Silverman program, and um, that was just pure joy. You know, again, I just I got to make a the TV show that was just what I thought was just the funniest thing in the world <laughs> you know mm -hmm. just like writing it was just massive belly laughs every day and uh shooting it was so fun you know i got to work with my sister every day mm -hmm. she's my older sister but she <laughs> played my younger sister which when i told her she was going to be my little sister she was like thank you <laughs> <laughs> she liked that everybody thinks she's younger than me yeah and uh yeah, it was pure joy. It was just um, we still we still love each other so much, and a lot of us all see each other a lot. We were just on a text chain mm -hmm. last night. And, um, you know, I look back, and there's lots of problematic stuff on the show. Right, and, yeah. And st stuff that holds up that I love, you know. But, you know, that's comedy. It's not evergreen. It's got to change with the times. And, uh, um, but, yeah, it was... It's funny because I'm I'm such a fan of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and I think that Rachel Bloom is so brilliant, mm -hmm. and um, it's such a fun show. And my friend Adam Schlesinger writes on it as well. And I was talking to her at a party, and um, we were talking. She's like, um, "Do you sing?" And I go, "Um, yeah, I had a a sitcom that was a musical." <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, "Oh God, right, sorry," <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, yeah, it's such great memories, and you know, of course, that's when I, we first met Harris Whittles, who's mm. gone now, and yeah, so young and so brilliant, and so funny. He was the one. I mean, he wrote so many great lines on that show, but I always think of the one where um, I'm eight months pregnant or nine months pregnant, and I go to my abortion doctor, Ron Lynch. And I want to get an abortion. And he goes, I can't give you an abortion. You're you're eight months pregnant. <laughs> I can't do that. And I go, hmm, all right. And I take a piece of paper and I write something down. Yeah. 
And I slide it to him, and you think it's like a, an amount of money, and he looks at it, and it just says, please. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Harris joke? Yeah, that was a Harris joke. Thank you, Sarah, so much for uh, for coming out and doing this today. It's just been a real pleasure uh, talking to you about all this stuff. Likewise. All right. And I like your beard. Oh, thank you. <laughs> what a perfect way to end. <laughs> Thank you again to Sarah Silverman. Isn't she the best? Sarah is currently working on a new late night series for HBO, so hopefully we can get her back on this show when that premieres. We'll have one more special treat from the archives next week, and then we'll be back with all new episodes in January. If you enjoy this show, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram. The Last Laugh is distributed by Himalaya Media for The Daily Beast. It's produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch for Starbirds Audio and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazel. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find the show every week on Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. Merry Christmas, everyone. See you soon. <laughs>